Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Gemma Sugru, welcome back to the Singing Teachers Talk podcast. It's lovely to actually finally meet you. Yeah, lovely to meet you too. Thanks for having me. We wanted to create a series of episodes dedicated to belting. And we spoke with John Henney for episode 101 about this very topic. So we want to get your thoughts on this today. You recently ran a three-day Master Your Mix bootcamp. So we wanted to chat with you about those dreaded words, mix, mix belt, all which makes us shrivel up like we've spent too long in the bath. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you define belt in the work that you do? And what's your relationship with it as a singer and as a vocal coach? Okay, yeah. So belt as a term isn't as common in my particular work. Like for me, I kind of associate belting with what maybe a singer for hire might need to do or what a music theater singer might need to do. Whereas a lot of my work, well, all of my work is with artists who are singer songwriters. And so I think as a term, it's really useful for categorizing things in a certain industry, but with creative artists, it's kind of anything goes. But if for for me, how I kind of view it or understand it is, or when I hear something or I hear a singer singing a note in a certain way that we might all kind of agree that's a belt. Um, usually there's, it's quite a thick vocal fold closure. Um, there's probably a ratio of high pressure. So there's a lot of air pressure underneath the fold. Um, and then there's going to be um, a lot of upper partial activity. So in the harmonic spectrum, the frequencies, um, you're going to have a lot of activity um, higher up. And usually I hear them like there are some outliers, but there's usually they're singing an a vowel or some an a with some kind of an uh quality to it is mm-hmm. usually what a belt sounds like rarely like i don't feel like when there's vibrato in there because vibrato to me is the voice in a state of periodic rest so it's it's more balanced that to me wouldn't be like a belt um the the belt or sorry the vibrato will come in when they start tapering out of maybe that very strong thick a vowel out into an e at the end to add the vibrato um but again it doesn't because it, it it's rare it rarely comes up when you're working with artists mixed voice does come up more for sure and i think we are probably talking about what other people might call belt um as mix sometimes in our world Mm. So in your world, working with the people that you do, who do we know listening on the radio who might be using the belt that you're referring to? I suppose there are loads of them are using it. I I think the reason why we're not talking about it is because it doesn't matter the way that it matters in you need to have a belt for this audition, right? In in pop, like Sia, Sia, for example, is, you know, somebody who's a very high thick vocal fold closure singer so she's probably considered a belter right um but she's not thinking about it in that way she's not like i want to really perfect my belt i want to have a good belt i'm a belter she's probably never thinking about it in that way whereas somebody who's a music theater singer is very much like i'm a belter i'm developing my belt so i think it's more about like the context 
there's plenty of it going on, but it's contextually, it's not, doesn't feel that relevant because we're not having to fit into categories. How do you define mix belt then? And you mentioned then about vibrato playing a role. Mm-hmm. And also, how do you define mix? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I start with mix. I have had um, an up and down relationship, on off relationship with mix for many years since 2013. I think I might have figured out like I was a classically trained singer, then got on YouTube um, and was like, oh, there's this thing called mix and I don't have it. I don't sound like that. What is that? I sing in my head voice all of the time. Um, And so I started kind of getting into that and understanding a little bit more and understanding the world of contemporary singing. And then I started going to all these science conferences with Johan Sundberg and David Harris and Laurel Irene and Carrie Obert and all these amazing researchers and speakers on The Voice who were just like, what, like mix? It's just, it's not, there's nothing scientifically grounding about that term. Like it could, it could mean anything. It doesn't really matter what anyone calls that. That's not a thing basically. And so then I became very dogmatic about nobody say mix because it's not a thing. It doesn't even exist. Everything is always overlapping. Why would we even say this? And I, and I started getting annoying then about that. Um, and, and then I reformed and matured and understood that, um, these are just words that are helpful, that are just a common language for people. And I think we all know what we mean when we say it. And let's just get over, let me get over myself for a minute and just use it again. Um, and what for me mixes is it's that, uh, it's basically singing higher with power, um, in a, in a balanced and controlled way. Um, it's being able to manage resonances well, so be able to modify the vowel effectively. And there are certain vowels that are going to be, allow you to stay in a mix. It's being able to hand over effectively from the, the muscle, the higher retinoid, the bottom layer of the vocal fold to the ligament, um, with the help of the cricothyroid to, to stretch the vocal folds. So it's a certain coordination of the vocal folds and it's a certain management of air pressure versus air flow. Um, and you're always kind of modulating these throughout your range as the pitch changes, then the vowel is modifying slightly because the pitch frequency is changing. Then the frequency of the vowel is having to change to kind of adapt. And you're just, you know, modifying the vocal tract shape, modifying the, the vocal fold closure and modifying your pressure to flow throughout. And there's tons of options. And I just think that that's a very option i kind of call it the option area we've entered into the option area do we want to be thin do we want to be thick do we want to be bright do we want to be dark what do we want to do here um and then you just become as kind of dynamic and as versatile as you can within that but for me a mix is anything that's that's connected that hasn't that's still in mode one of the vibratory pattern that hasn't gone into mode two which is more of a disconnected falsetto sound um, and we manipulate that with resonances and how much we want the vocal folds, how much depth we want in the vocal fold closure. And how do we know when that's become a mixed belt? A mixed belt. Not a term that I have used, I presume is like a thick mix. And if it's a thick mix, then it's probably, I suppose certain vowels are going to make it thicker. Like, okay, for me personally, um, how my voice will hand over if I want to keep it as thick for as long as possible as I go as I ascend without like pulling chest I need to move into an a shading around a flat four and then I need to move into like an a shading around c5 and then I'm going to have to move into an a shading up to the g um g sharp 
Mm-hmm. So that's going to keep, keep me thick for as long as possible. In terms of like, how do we, I, that's not something I've ha- I've kind of defined before. Mm-hmm. What's like a, a thick, what was it? A, a mix belt. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, do we have to define it? I mean, has this all become a little bit too prescriptive? <laughs> right. But I, and so, yeah, it had, I think what, I think that it's really helpful for the music theater audition people, you know, because they are like, oh, that's a light mix or a mix belt or all these different things. Whereas it it hasn't look fortunately for the artistry stuff. It it, we don't have to get that nuanced with the categorization. Mm. We just I just always ask them, do you like that? What would you like more of? What would you like less of? Mm. And we usually talk in terms of terms of dark or bright, thick or thin. I wonder whether even for the musical theatre person that using the intention, like you mentioned with Sia, mm-hmm. using the intention of what you're trying to play out mm-hmm. might be a really good way in instead of trying to identify whether it's slightly thick or slightly thin or mm-hmm. whatever, so that we're mm-hmm. constantly thinking about character and mm-hmm. the communication side of things, because the audience isn't really going to be sat there thinking, oh, that mix is slightly thinner than I wanted it to be. They're going to be mm-hmm. thinking, goodness me, that character is really sad or mm-hmm. whatever's happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that I, I'm, for, for me, I, I, there's, there's definitely some resonancing or like resonance play that I'm in engaging in. That's a bit smoke and mirrors above my B5. Like I'm not truly thick above my B5. I can manipulate it, um, with the right vowel modifications because I'm classically trained. It's been hard for me to kind of keep that depth of vocal fold closure engaged all the way up to whatever you might want to build to an E5 or an F. You've touched on some of the mechanics there. So I would just be really interested to know how you get a singer with the people that you work with into these coordinations. So we know that singing isn't a linear process. There's lots of things being impacted from lots of different directions. So at the level of the vocal folds, how do you help a singer to keep a thicker fold? What's your favorite thing to do? We're talking about sound. And so my favorite way to train a singer is their listening. I want them to be able to be good at hearing sound before they're good at feeling sound. And I feel like a lot of the emphasis gets placed on feeling the sound, putting different body parts in different places that they don't have a huge amount of sensory awareness for. And I think if we can really help them develop their aural intelligence, their ability to hear sound more spectrally, then they can, all the body parts will move into place accordingly. Um, And a lot of this was kind of sparked in my mind when I first heard the researcher Heidi Moss speak about how we're, um, as a species, human beings are one of eight species that are vocal learners where brains are wired for imitation. So where I will start usually is with them sounding. So not singing, sounding the note so that we might sound it on a call like a hey or an oi or an oh yeah. Um, and then they'll, I'm, I'm like, how does it feel? Um, you know, do you, do you have now a reference point? So we can do the feeling secondly, but we will do the imitation firstly. Um, and then, so yeah, primal sounds, 
and then getting into, I suppose, putting that into a scale and locking that in and playing around with breaking the sound down spectrally. So that usually means doing the sound in a very bright way and then doing the sound in a very dark way and then finding some finding what we call the chiaroscuro, which is like your your light and shade balance in that sound. So that's why diphthongs are really helpful or, um, you know, like people will use my mys or nays or yas because with like a yeah you've got the bright and the e and the a or the thickness and the darkness in the a or it's not as bright as the e basically a is still quite a bright vowel but a singer who tends to be very thick i'm like lean into the e a little bit more than the a a singer who tends to be quite thin i'm like let's sing into the a a little bit more than the e um and so yeah i usually like to start with refining the engine first which is what's happening up here in the vocal tract before then adding the gas which is what we're doing underneath with the power supply from the airflow hmm. and it sounds like you're using a lot of negative practice feeling uh -huh. both ends of the spectrum so that you mm. know where to shift your cursor mm, yeah definitely love that love that as many as much clarity that we can give them for context for reference points like you say and then find your place on that continuum mm. and you were mentioning about setting things up so is there something that you feel needs to be in place first before you even delve into thickening up the folds for a belt mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i think that i usually will want the singer to be able to give me a really good quality mode one up to g4 i want your i just like it, males that might be a little bit or, or testosterone driven voices that might be a little bit too much of an extension but for a, an estrogen driven voice up to g4 i want them to be able to sing all the vowels you know be able to navigate through that octave well in their mode one in a speech dominant sound and then i also want them to be able to access true falsetto like it can be airy i just need you to be off the voice truly in falsetto in like a so they have access to that um and once we have those function functional vibratory patterns available to us then i'm happy to start manipulating resonances and manipulating things in the middle mm. and you mentioned about the air pressures and the relationship there how do you help somebody to feel that is that useful for them to understand pressure in their body and airflow in their body mm -hmm. yeah definitely i think one of my favorite ways for them to experience that is doing something like a blowfish where they're really getting intimate with the idea of what uh, Ken Bozeman calls transglottal pressure difference, where we have air pressure above, like supraglottally, so above the vocal folds, and we have pressure below the vocal folds subglottally. And they're kind of in this interaction with each other, these two pressures. Um, and when the singer does something like a blowfish with the thumb, and I get them to put their hand on their lower abdominal wall, just above their pubic bone, nice and low, and I get them to just do any siren, like a and I ask them, did they feel any engagement in their lower abdominal wall? They'll usually say yes. Um, they haven't had to think about that or make that happen. That, that interacted with the pressure that was happening above the vocal folds. And now they've got that gateway into 
the experience of that. Now they can lean in more. Now they can play more with it, but they've gotten the the trigger point for it without having to think and look. And I just get so worried about singers getting bogged down in support muscles and it becoming almost counteractive that they tense up because the, you know, the vocal folds, the larynx, everything is going to shut down if they get too tense. So letting the body naturally react and respond. And then we just start following that further. Hmm. So what might your views be on anchoring? I don't know if you've come across that term before. I know it through the grapevine from a still, and I understand it to be like imagining you have oranges underneath your armpits and kind of stabilizing into that, if you like. So this is all about stability and and getting the muscles that we use to stabilize us, usually muscles in the core, to get involved with the singing and to help us manage those changing air pressures. So as you sing, there's a different pressure quality or pressure level to each note you're singing, depending on the note that you're singing, depending on the vowel that you're singing. So the pressures are always undulating. So it's a good way to get in and manage it. Um, But I prefer accessing it through movement which i've learned from chris johnson who i think is amazing and i think his um methodology or i so he wouldn't call it a methodology but his approach with that is really useful and feels really organic and one of my favorite things to get a singer to do is to march and automatically the body is forced to engage stability muscles that are going to stabilize the body and keep you available for that movement that has a lot of variability in legs up and down um, variability throughout the whole torso um, so those muscles are getting engaged and if you're having to sing with that engagement it's really connecting kind of joining those dots up um, and it's quite challenging for the singer as well but can get the singer into the body a little bit more um, but I think it's it's a whole like from the bottom it's it's a bottom up experience and I'm I'm starting to get into that now myself as a, I, I like to go to the gym. I like to work out and I actually spent an hour yesterday just stepping up properly, like trying to make sure that the middle of my foot gets on a step before my heel touches the step. Mm-hmm. And I spent like an hour just obsessing over that. And I started wearing um, those Vivo barefoot shoes because like I have toes on my feet that are absolute passengers on the ride. They're not <laughs> doing any work. And I was like, I have to, they're, they're important. Like I have those toes for a reason. I can, I can't even move them. And I think all of that, that's why, you know, physical work, strength work, stability work, Feldenkrais, Alexander technique, all of that stuff is going to make you a great singer. Um, But treat yourself as a kind of a whole person, a whole body, and all of it is going to kind of support and, and help you be better. In your view, where are we going to need the larynx? Do we need to worry about the larynx when we're looking at mix and, and belting? Will it just follow what we're doing? Do we need it high? Do we need it low? What do you think? Again, I I think it's not something that comes up for me as an instruction often because um, it's hard to separate everything from each other. You know, like I find that hard. Others don't, but I do. I find like, because when I'm talking about the larynx, I'm also talking about tongue position and I'm also talking about the vowel and I'm also talking about the soft palate position and I'm also talking about the quality of vocal fold closure. So it's really hard to separate them out. Mm. Um, For me, like I want the singer, I mean, you can definitely hear some singers 
tend towards maybe too low of a larynx and it's not helpful for them because they're not getting enough brighter upper partial frequencies to help them with power. And then you do hear some singers who are a little bit tight sounding and that the larynx rise a little bit too high. So in general, we want it Goldilocks. We want it to be somewhere that's nice and relaxed and natural for them. Right. Um, but, but beyond that, we want a larynx that's on the move. And that's what like really amazing singers it's one of the reasons we love a, a singer. A singer sounds really musical is because they're in one sentence, they've had a very low to very high larynx position just in one sentence in their chest voice. And that's what gave it so much color and, and a lot of dynamic. So generally it's on the move. And um, I don't talk about it unless there's a, there's a distinct problem. Um, and I, and it's always in context of the tongue position and the vowel usually. Then let's talk about the tongue and the articulators. Where do you like to influence a tongue to be when we're belting or when we're in a mixy quality? Hmm. I think that it's good to have an awareness of where the tongue so you want the tongue resting on the roof of the mouth. And so I would start there with the singer being aware that their tongue should be resting on the roof of the mouth. So there's been amazing work done by um, a coach and researcher, Andrew Byrne, and he talks about practicing with the tongue in the spot. So being um, at the roof of the mouth. So having the starting there, he also talks about like the innervation of the tongue and like using a tongue scraper, like a cleaner to kind of wake up all the different parts of the tongue. I love how Kerry Obert, of course, talks about the tongue and how it's the hydrostat. It's like an elephant's trunk and it's got like so many positions it can go into. And we need to not think about it as a problematic part of the anatomy. It's like the most amazing, fabulous creative part of the anatomy um, and go into so many different positions. Something that I also love doing is getting a singer to be aware of the position by breathing in on the vowel and noticing where they feel the cold air in their vocal tract. So if I was to breathe in on um, an oo vowel, um, so if I just breathe in on an oo vowel, vowel like this, I will feel the cold air hitting the front of my tongue and, and kind of being up here at the front. So this is where the oo vowel is, it, the formation is very important, right? And I'm also getting to experience where my tongue went for the oo vowel to create the oo vowel. And then if I'm getting them to really experience what the true ah vowel, and then I'll get them to do the exact same thing that they breathe, breathe in on the ah, and they'll feel that a lot of the air is hitting the back of the throat. So um, rather than I worry about getting them to put the tongue into too much of a position again. Like generally, yeah, high is going to be helpful, having the tip towards the front. Um, sometimes we want to use a bit of root ring and have some of the tongue moving back into the into the throat space. Um, but I try to let all of that be guided by the sound. So the imitation of the sound um, and that they're listening to that and that so that they don't feel fixed in a positioning. Um, but that when we have the sound and we like the sound, we're like, that's the sound. You like that sound? I like that sound. Okay, now think about where your tongue is. Then we think about where the tongue is after that. Yeah, I like that. So do you find that's a little bit more helpful than giving an instruction like, raise your tongue a little bit, push your tongue a little bit more forwards, in, but instead getting them to reference the sound that they were able to imitate through play yeah. and be able to recreate it. Yeah, and so again, I think it's this idea that I've, I seem to be following recently of the primary instruction is aural, and then the secondary kind of 
finishing finisher is a sensory thing and i'm sort of like okay i like the ballpark we're in now with that avo can i just hear it with the tongue forward a little bit more can i just hear it with you raising so i will start maybe doing some tweaks like that um like you know an e-vowel is a very extreme nice high tongue position i even get them to feel the sides of the tongue on the the, the top molars mm-hmm. and i think that that can be a really great um one to warm the voice up or to kind of prime the voice before we go and do something like an ah vowel, like a belted ah. Um, sometimes just borrowing some frequencies from some of the higher vowels can be nice and they usually have that higher tongue position. So the belters bite, which I've heard described by Lise Popiel, talks about having a slightly raised head, activating the chewing muscles for a firm but flexible jaw no lower teeth showing, cheeks raised and wide, the tongue relaxed in the mouth, tip of the tongue against the bottom teeth and a slightly protruded chin. Cool. (laughs) That's quite a lot to remember. (laughs) That's a lot to remember, yeah. I think it's because, you know, you just tend to teach in the way that your brain works as well. For me, the students that would just like yes give me like all these little specific postures to put my body into and i will do that i can't i can't that doesn't come that doesn't click for me as well like mm-hmm. the micromanagement of the different parts things tend to fall apart for me as a singer so then i've gotten out of the i i don't tend to teach like that because of that yeah so for somebody else that's going to work really well but i i i think yeah i've i've become so into being good at hearing the sound and teaching that, that that's just become my way. Yeah. Mm. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, that to a certain point, you're going to need a bit of an ah vowel compared to a little bit higher up when it's an air and then more of an ah. Mm -hmm. How did you find that out for yourself? And how do you help singers find out which vowel is going to help them best? Mm, Yeah, like I'll always, I suppose, okay, starting with how I found, figured it out was from pausing singers mid note. So I would listen to a singer and as soon as they, I would just like constantly pause the note as they were singing it. And I'm like, oh, it's a, and I'm like, oh, okay. So she starts after the W she's like got an uh, and then it moves into like an uh, and she holds it on the end. Then she starts tapering it out into an E and then she goes vibrato at the end. And I'm like, okay, so it's that eh. So then I go rewind into the end. I'm like, okay, this is that vowel. So this is like listening to long notes sung by like Jesse J or Whitney Houston or Beyonce or something like that. And so I just started breaking down the sounds in that way and then trying to do them in my own voice, trying to experience how I could hang on to that thickness without um you know what you had john henny on i one of the things that he said that i absolutely loved was he was talking about how you know your nervous system and ken bozeman talks about this as well your nervous system has these go-to like yell mode or the whoop timbre that um ken bozeman talks about and being in a belt or being in a mix is about kind of sneaking past those nervous system defaults like um tricking your body past them so i think to um I'm always just trying to kind of ride that fine line of staying in that thickness without mm. going into that yell mode and tricking my way out of it. Um, but yeah, it's been, and I've, I found that through vowel modification, through understanding singers that I wanted to sound more like. Mm. Um, but then in terms of teaching that to singers and helping them figure out, cause it's, you know, we unfortunately can't just take exactly what Whitney Houston did 
and input it into your vocal tract. There's going to be different things that your vocal tract is going to need and want to do and gravitate towards and work better with. So I like to audition different vowels. Um, so I'll just go through different, there's like a, a bunch of sounds that I, I want to audition them through. I'll cycle them through and I'm asking them, how does that feel? How do we like that? And then we're like, and then we kind of go, okay, which one was our favorite? I think we like that. Okay, let's do that then. And then we make up an exercise for the phrase with those uh, two vowels that we might have selected. Mm, love it. Can you talk a little bit about twang and how you implement that? Yeah, ain't nothing but a twang thing. I love twang for life. Twang is everything. Um, I can't say enough good things about twang. Um, uh, it's just, it's free power for the voice. Um, I think when I learned that the human ear canal is tuned to boost around two and a half thousand frequencies to 4,000 frequencies, which is like the region generally we would consider to be the twang region. Mm. Um, I was like, oh yeah, it's just free power. It's free volume. Um, and then it works as free energy that gets sent back to the vocal folds that helps them vibrate better, which takes the pressure off them, takes the pressure off the muscles. Um, and it just, yeah, it, it's an unfinished sound, which is a term taken from John Henney, just to give him credit on that. Um, it's like an unfinished, on its own, yeah, not, not the cutest sound, but with like the depth and body of some uh or some darker sounds within that, or like in the whole spectrum, in the whole frequency spectrum, um, it's amazing. So yeah, like when you look at like what a falsetto looks like on a, on the spectrogram analyzer in comparison to what like chest or belt or mix looks like, it's just like a sound with very little twang and then a sound with plenty of twang. And that they're kind of like the, that's like one of the biggest differences you will see in the, in those singing qualities on the spectrum analyzer. Mm. How do you like to help singers get into a twang that can assist them to find that power? Yeah. First of all, um, I have to get them on board with with liking it as much as I do and being like totally sold on it. Then we talk about twang not needing to be nasal. It can be nasalized, but it doesn't have to be. And we practice singing it nasal and non-nasal, usually with a nose block where we'll, where I get them to do the negative and positive. Like we've talked about like a then I ask them, what do you notice about the vocal tract when you do that? And they're like, oh, I notice that the tongue goes up and back. And I notice that the palate comes down and all the soft, all the sound is kind of happening here at the back. And I'm like, yeah, so your brain was like, don't let any of the sound go into the oral cavity, make sure it's all going to the nose. And so we're like, okay, so that's a nasally twang, twang sound. Now, can you continue to have a bright sound without it being nasal? But I still want that. Yeah. And they'll give me a, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, great. So that was a sound that was in the oral cavity. It stayed bright and it was still twangy. Um, so then we have those, once we've that kind of worked out, um, and it's not that I'm demonizing nasal either. I just want them to be able to uh, like like decouple a twang from nasal. Um, then we will work on, what would we work on next? Yeah, I mean, just doing in, like silly sounds like doing Janet from Friends and all of that. Oh my God. And yeah, yeah, yeah sounds um and then working on or i use like a prompt like be cartoony i find that that can be a good prompt um there's also whine and whinge that can come into it too um or i use like an example of like stevie wonder so low, i'm always using aural examples of things mm. and lots of primal soundings of things mm. have you ever had it where you've you've been working with with a young young singer 18 19 maybe mm -hmm. and you you mentioned something like janice from friends and they're like what's mm -hmm. friends i'm like 
how have we crossed paths? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And yeah, it's, what, what would I say? It's like kind of whiny, whingy. Some, I know that that kind of gets you into a little bit of a different sound, but yeah, like out of schoolyard, nah, 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 or like, or even just going like hyper, like character New Yorky, or if they're like music theater, they know anything about music theater, then I might get them to do, um, what's that Adelaide's lament or something like that. Mm. But I think once I can demonstrate it, they get it. Yeah. What would be the exercise that you would go to for belting? Uh huh. Um, I think I would say the, for me, the vowel that's the thickest for me is eh. Nothing is as thick as my eh vowel. I find that I can, my ah thins out a bit and my uh, I just can't take that high, but my eh, I can stay, I can go quite high and I can stay quite thick. So I like a yeah, 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 yeah. I have the brightness off the E into the yeah, and I make it more, I can make it more a eh than a, ah, or I can make it more a ah than a, eh, depending on what the singer needs. But I like, um, usually I might do like a primal sound where I'll get them to go, oh yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll do like, um, I hope my microphone isn't peaking too much, but we'll do that like repeated octave at the top where we're, yeah, 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 yeah. And I might ask them, okay, can I get more E in that? They might be too, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, oh, it's a bit dull. Can I get a lot of E in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And make it a bit cartoony for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it might get a little bit too thin where we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, oh, it's gone a bit too thin. Give me more of the air. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that, once we get that sound in the right ballpark, then we can start talking about, Hmm. Can you drop your jaw a little bit more every time we get into the air? Can you allow the tongue to roll forward a little bit more? Um, and we can start playing with some of the sm the moving parts. Um, but I want to get the ballpark of the sound first, and I play around with the chiaroscuro of the brightness of the e and the dar and the thickness heaviness of the air. Mm. If there was one myth that you could bust about mix and or belt, what would it be? I think, oh gosh, what would it be? Um, I suppose that it's not a, it's, it's not a destination. It's, um, and it's different people interpret it in different ways. Um, and, and it's quite a gray area, but I think, yeah, the main thing is like, it's not a vocal register. It's, and it's much more of a, an acoustic event and we're manipulating the acoustics in an, a, accordingly, but it's not a laryngeal register, I think is an important thing for people to, to note. You've mentioned the work of John Henney, a bit of Ken Bozeman's work, Kerry Ober. Is there anybody else that you would recommend us checking out on this topic? Everybody, people should, all people should know Ian Davidson. He's one of my favorite vocal coaches. Um, I think Dave Stroud is one of my favorite teachers as well. I adore watching him masterclass. Um, I love, I feel like if I say, it's like doing an Oscar thing that like, if I say too many people, then I've excluded people. Oh, if you haven't used the website voicescienceworks.org, you are missing out on the most amazing 
free voice science research re, uh, resource on the internet. It's created by David Harris and Laurel Irene. They explain stuff that is so complicated, so beautifully, so well. So they're my, that's my recommendation. These are my, my top pick. David Harris, Laurel Irene, voicesciencework.org. Gemma Sugru, there is no denying that the content that you create for your social media is incredibly engaging. What has been the process for you finding the best way to create this content and speak to your audience? Um, I think it's been having a laugh, like, and it's advice I give my students. I'm like, do it for a laugh, like make a thing for the, for the laugh, like as in not, as in just be lighthearted about it. Mm. Taking yourself, I think I took myself too seriously for a while when I started getting into the voice science stuff. And I was like, I'm a vocologist, even though that's not even a thing. I'm like, I'm so into the science. And, you know, I lost touch with the whole point of teaching, which is being a good communicator. And, uh, when I got into TikTok, that took a lot of the pressure off of me about how the content need to come across. Because when I'm on Instagram, I'm thinking about my peers, I'm thinking about my family, I'm thinking about my friends, all of these people are going to be judging me and who, you know, I've built up this reputation and I need to be this thing, whatever. Get into TikTok and I'm just like, nobody cares, nobody knows me, I'm just going to make whatever I want here and have a bit of fun with it. And then turned out that that was the thing that everybody resonated with everybody seemed to click with and then i started reposting it on my instagram i would have never made those videos for instagram no way i would have died and then once i made them over there and they were popular i was like well it's been validated people like it here so i'm going to put it on instagram now so yeah i think realizing that just being yourself and also being okay with not being liked um which is you know initially is is hard but then you're like well i don't like everybody either so that makes sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, TikTok was amazing for me to to kind of free me and allow me to just express myself and be myself as a as a teacher online. Mm. And and have you had any trolling or bad comments? And if so, how have you dealt with those? Yeah, yeah, and loads. Like loads of people. Um, not loads. See, it feels like it's loads, <laughs> you know, like it's, it's like 1% of the comments, but to you, it's, it feels like a hundred percent when you see one bad comment. Um, but a lot of people misunderstand that I'm, I'm doing some of my, so some of my content is like, um, sat satirical. I'm pretending to be this really mean vocal coach. And, um, so some people didn't realize it was a joke. Um, but then you just like, initially it was hard and then you start getting used to it and it is and then you start it's good for your ego it definitely is good for your ego um and you i think coming back to that sentiment that like when i'm really honest with myself i don't like everybody so then me expecting everybody to like me seems unreasonable um and then you just get okay with not being liked and then you start actually feeling more confident than you were before because you're like I know people who don't like me and I'm still cool with it myself. And they're like, oh, this is a different level of confidence. Mm. You've explored stand up comedy recently. Mm -hmm. What got you into that? And has that helped you create any of this content? Yeah, definitely. It's really, um, I think 
it has been good for me again with that like stand up comedy is immediate feedback like people are either going to laugh or they're not going to laugh you can sing and people can think that you were good or you were bad but you will never know you know immediately that you were bad when you're doing stand-up comedy or you know immediately that you're good and um, so that's a really good training ground for for dealing with that um but it's also just a great way to find because all we're trying to do is communicate as teachers we're just trying to communicate ideas and comedy is such a creative way to communicate and like the other thing you're also trying to find is a match between you and a student um, you are trying to find a personality match and if you think about like dating most people will say i want a, i want a guy or i want a girl with a sense of humor what you're really saying is i want somebody who, who thinks the same things are funny that i think are funny so it's a bonding it's like a bonding thing as well so with any singer that comes on a call with me that asking about my program i'm just like immediately we're friends because they they know me they get me they get what i think is funny and we've already got a connection before we've even met so it's been a really cool way of yeah connecting with this the right fit of students mm. what would be your bit of advice to fellow vocal coaches to get started on things like youtube and instagram and TikTok? i think I, I definitely recommend starting on a platform where nobody knows you and you're being pushed out to new people all the time. So the data that you're getting back is very clean. It's hard to see the wood from the trees when you're just getting all of the support from your family and friends on your Instagram or on your Facebook. And it's and sometimes you can feel like, oh, no, it's OK, guys, you don't have to comment. And you might feel a little bit oh more to posting a thing again and they're going to get sick of me. Right. Go over to TikTok where it's like a clean, fresh slate or shorts on YouTube is all so like works as well as TikTok, not as well, but nearly as well. Um, and you're going to get a lot of coverage. It's, you know, have potential to go viral, but yeah, go there, take it lightheartedly and don't be afraid to, it sounds like generic advice, but do not be afraid to be yourself and do not be, don't take yourself too seriously and just talk to the camera in the exact same way that you talk to your student in the exact same way that you would connect to a student in a lesson. Um, and yeah, people will love it. How long has it all taken you to kind of find your feet with it? A long time, definitely a long time. I feel like I've only really clicked with things in the last year. And that's come from being like very consistent, like very determined about it. But like it's, I've been all over the map up until then. And I think that there's like that everyone should accept that there's going to be an explore phase and an exploit phase and i had a long explore phase where i'm like i'm a singer i'm a this i'm a scientist i'm a i'm very serious i'm not serious at all like figuring all of that out and then landing somewhere being like this is me now and this is how i like to be and also not um i think you can tell when somebody's not excited about what they're talking about on a video so i don't um force myself to like have to do the trend or have to do the da da da. I'm like, I'll just talk about what's fascinating me right now. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I have parameters. All right. But I just allow myself to be kind of genuine and, and show up and then talk about what's fascinating me. Mm. Yeah. But it's taken, it has taken time to figure out where, where to land there. 
Mm. And just before we let you go, can you tell us mm -hmm. about Pro Vocal Artists, what's going on over there at the moment? Yeah, so I have a, a company called Pro Vocal Artists, which is an online coaching community mastermind program that's about helping singers go from being singers to being artists. So um, helping them with their voice, with their songwriting, with their recording, using DAW as in Logic or whatever production tool they want to use, finding a producer and um, figuring out how to market themselves online and show up on social media and just get to that place where they're releasing music that they're super proud of and they're confident about. And my mission has always had, well, not always, but has I've figured out is uh, helping people get new music into the world and helping singers be artists and um, yeah, explore that. And because I, I think that that was some, that was always my dream and I got lost in lots of different twists and turns along the way. So now um, my new dream is helping singers do that. So yeah, that's what we do for Vocal Artist. Amazing. And where can people find out more about that and get in touch with you? Yeah, so provocalartist.com. Amazing. Gemma Sugru, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really loved being with you. Thank you so much, Lexa. If you're enjoying the Singing Teachers Talk podcast, and who are we kidding? Of course you are. Share the love by giving us a ahem, five star rating and leaving a comment. Just head to the Singing Teachers Talk main page on the Apple podcast app and scroll to the bottom to click write a review.